Thank you, Lord. So, Happy New Year. Every, every time this year, uh, we get a new word. God, God uh, I spend some time uh, seeking God and, and listening to Him and hearing what He has for us. It's been uh, interesting words all along. Uh, last year, the word was not just one word, but uh, it was uh, joy as expressed in laughter. Uh, and and you know that last year was a a difficult year to <laughs> to express in laughter. Uh, there were there were there was fear and death and um, chaos and uh, loss of employment, a uh, loss of businesses. It was a weird year to to be in a place where we're looking for laughter. And yet God is bigger than all of that. And joy comes from inside, from that place where he dwells. In his presence there is fullness of joy. And so when we see what he has for us, when we, when we can just get the idea of how big he is and, and that he actually has, is, is steps ahead of what we can see, then we're able to laugh at even the most um, trying issues. David looking at uh, um, Goliath may have laughed because he knew his God was bigger than the giant. We were able to do that because he is so wonderful. But we seem to be tested in those things that the words that we get. And we get tested as a church, and I, I think we get tested as the body uh, as well in all of that. Uh, in, in the final two weeks of the year, I heard a number of prophecies for 2021, and many of them carried uh, a, a little uh, leftover from 2020. And, and in those words were... Uh, prominently portrayed where joy and laughter are pouring out. So unless we're ready for it, we won't appreciate it as much, right? When you go to grandma's house and you just know that she's going to have fresh baked buns, <laughs> you anticipate those things and you can, you can almost taste the, the butter melting on those buns and a little fresh jam, <laughs> Holy bowling at Christmas, right, Stan? <laughs> you anticipate those things. And so if we are, are made aware and we are able to anticipate, be ready for, we can appreciate it much more. So joy as expressed in laughter was our test for last year, and this year we're going to be tested in another word. <laughs> um, I asked the Lord if it could be Hawaii. You know, test me in that, Lord. <laughs> May I be smitten with Hawaii. <laughs> uh, he didn't get that humor. <laughs> and he didn't give me that word. But that's the way it is. Uh, I can't manipulate him. And so I have to be honest about the word and the uh, where it is that I believe that we're going. And, and uh, this year, it's a, it's a word that we have had, I, I think, in the, it's been a number of years now since we've had it, but uh, our word is love. Yeah. Love. Yeah. Now, now, that sounds all wonderful. Oh, we, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. <laughs> I, I don't know that that's what, <laughs> the way we're going to be tested in it. <laughs> uh, let me read for you uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, it is the, known as the love chapter. It's actually uh, probably, many people say it's the favorite passage in the world of, of God's Bible. But um, just let me read it for you out of the... The Passion Translation, 
It's called Passion Translation, but I don't know that it actually is a translation. I think it's more of a paraphrase because it it makes things, it, it takes some uh, liberties with words uh, that that um, help us to, to comprehend it now. Uh, and so it's not a, a, like a, a specific translation, but the paraphrase helps us to understand. And there, there are other good paraphrases out there. So, First um, Corinthians 13, and I want to... Um, I'll start with... Let's start at verse 1. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, and this is out of the Passion Translation. If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I, expre- I, I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. If I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest of faith that could move mountains, but I've never learned to love, then I am nothing. If I were to be so generous as to give away everything I own to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements, nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Now, as you hear these things, these are the things that we will be tested in. (laughs) I'm going to continue reading, but, but you will be tempted to take offense. And your choice will be, do I move in love or do I take my rightful offense in this? (laughs) Will I move in love or will I be irritated right now? The tests will come. (laughs) Continuing on in verse 6. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. (laughs) Love never ceases, right? That describe love in a beautiful way. I was I was impressed with how it was uh, how it was put together. So love love will test us this year and and uh, the whole idea of the test is to rise us raise us up to a another level in God to take us to a place out of the um, the muck and the mire, the, the, the ways of the world, the ways of uh, fleshly man, 
and to to take us to a new a new a new ground a new place he has he has um, increase available for us he has promotion waiting for us <clears throat> and the way to that is to give up the old way and exchange it for the new way he uh, his wonderful exchanges are delightful you know i uh, he gives us the oil of joy for mourning, beauty for ashes. And so instead of offense, God has love for us. Because it's his love we're looking for. It's the agape love. It's the love that super, uh, supersedes anything that we're able to generate on our own. He's wanting us to move in his love. How can we do that? How can we move in his love? Well, he resides in us. We have access to him. And if we invite him, he will help us. We don't have to make it on our own. We don't have to trudge through this because... He's designed us so that we can turn to him any old time. So, knowing that the scripture, 1 John 4, verse 7, uh, the, the epistle or the uh, letter of John um, says simply, and if you want a challenge for the year, here's a scripture that you can memorize. <laughs> First John 4, 7. God is love. God is love. Well, his tests are usually easy if we trust him. It's only when we hang on to things that, that it becomes hard. Years ago, I don't know if you can remember what it was like, but my mom used to have a ringer washer. She would wash the clothes, and then she would take the wet clothes out, and there's a ringers on the, on the end, uh, you know, kind of on the top of it, and she would put the clothes into the ringer, and, and it would squeeze the water out as, as it pulled the clothes through. And so you'd end up with flat, drier clothes on the other side of this thing. Well, one day I was playing uh, while my mom wasn't looking, and I had a car in my hand, and my, my sleeve got caught in this thing, and it started to pull me in. And, and, but my hand held the car. <laughs> and so it was, it was pulling me and pulling me, and it was, it was painful. I was... <laughs> I was being dragged up. My clothes were starting to get uh, uh, torn, and, and it was, just looked awful. And, and so finally, maybe with God, I don't know what it was, but I let go of the car, just thinking it was too, too painful, and my hand went into it. <coughs> Excuse me. And as I did, it, it, it was too big a piece to go through. My arm was too big, so it kicked it in to stop, huh? The, the rollers parted, and I was free. <laughs> you have to be willing to let go of what it is so that you will be free. <coughs> Excuse me. Is that the car that I had in my hand? <laughs> 31 Chevy. So he has those things for us. That, that promotion. But the idea is to have us more like God all the time. To become more like Jesus. More like what he really is. <coughs> I got a little tickle here. It is not COVID. <laughs> Although I am... 
uh, spaced out from anybody else's. Thank you. Thank you, love. Huh. That feels better. <clears throat> you know, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are 89 chapters. 89 chapters that describe what Jesus did when he was here on earth. 89 chapters that tell us of his lineage, his birth, what he learned along the way, showed him performing miracles, how he needed to be alone sometimes and pray. I got one, Bob, thanks. Showed us his willingness to, to do what the Father was doing. I only do what I see my Father doing. Showed us the glory and wonder of who he is. And they show us the, the harshness of his death. Shameful death. But you know, in 89 chapters, there is only one little verse where he, where he rolls back the veil, as it were, and shows us his heart. Like we can, we can look at the totality of, of what he shows us, and assume that we know the important thing. But it, I think, is like when Moses asked to see God's glory. When he asked to see God's glory, God said, I will show you my goodness. Right? I will show you my goodness. That, that is his glory. My nose is running just here for a sec. So, excuse me. Yeah. So we want to see what his heart is like. And so we look at the one little bit place where it shows. Matthew 11. 28 to 30. And it says, Come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You catch that? I am gentle and lowly in heart. He's showing us his heart there. The essence of who he is. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He pulls back the veil to show us. Remembering that God is love. So he's pulling back the veil. <laughs> And showing us the essence of who he is. The essence of love. Gentleness and lowliness. Amazing. Now when the Bible speaks of the heart, we, we need to remember, Old Testament or New, it's not speaking of our emotional life only. But of the central animating center of all that we are. It's what gets us out of bed in the morning and what we daydream about as we drift off to sleep. Our heart, that thing that motivates us. It's our motivation headquarters. The heart in biblical terms is not a part of who we are, but is the center of who we are. Our heart is what defines 
and directs us. That's why Solomon tells us to keep the heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Proverbs 4.23. The heart is a matter of life. It is what makes us human beings, makes us the human being each of us is. Sorry. It's what makes us the human being that each of us is. The heart drives all that we do and who we are. Jesus' heart is what drives him. Jesus' heart is is the motivating factor. And it's so beautiful that he shares that with us. So he says, I am gentle, right? Gentle and lowly. I am gentle. The Greek word translated gentle there is used only three more times in in the New Testament. The first is in a beatitude. It says that the meek will inherit the earth. Matthew 5.5. Meek there is the same word as Jesus uses for gentle here. The meek shall inherit the earth. The prophecy in Matthew 21.5, which quotes from Zechariah 9.9, Jesus is the king coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. Humble and mounted on a donkey. That word humble is gentle. Right? And in Peter's encouragement to wives to nurture more than anything else, and this is, this is the, the verse, the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. The word gentle there is, is the word that we get for gentle uh, in, in our passage, Matthew 11. Meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger-happy, not harsh, reactionary, or easily exasperated. To get the picture of this, who Jesus is telling us he is, is that his natural posture is not the pointed finger. If you do this right, you're always wrong. You're bad. (laughs) That's, that's what we superimpose upon him. But his natural posture, if we, if we catch this, is the open arm. Come to me. Come to me. It's a beautiful picture, I think. It also says he is lonely. The word lonely, or lowly. The word lowly overlaps that of gentle. Together communicating a a single reality about Jesus' heart. This specific word lowly is generally, it's used a number of times in the New Testament, but it's generally used and translated as humble. In James 4, 6, it it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, the lowly. Typically throughout the the New Testament, the Greek word refers not to humility as a virtue, but to humility in the sense of destitution or being thrust downward in life circumstances. So in like in Mary's song, uh, while pregnant with Jesus, The word is used to speak of the way that God exalts those who are of humble estate. The word humble there is the lowly that we have translated in our verse. Of lowly estate. Kind of pushed down by the circumstances of the world. Paul uses the word when he tells us to not be haughty. Not to be lifted up and and think yourself more highly than others, but to associate with the 
lowly. That's uh, Romans 12, 16. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Referring to the socially unimpressive. <laughs> Those who are not the life of the party, but rather they would cause the host to cringe if they show up. <laughs> the lowly of, us, uh, of the world. The point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he's accessible. He's accessible. He's not, he's not some God on a mountain that you have to climb for days and days to get to. He is humble and lowly. He, he is, you can run to him anytime. He is accessible to us. For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. <laughs> a, a leper who would not approach anyone because he was, he was uh, seen as an outcast had no problem approaching Jesus. Jesus was accessible, so beautiful. So our minimum bar to be enfolded into the embrace of Jesus is simply to open yourself up to him. It's all he needs. Indeed, it's the only thing that he works with. Open yourself up to him. You don't have to put on airs with Jesus. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to try and manipulate or control. You just simply open up to him. He stands before you with open arms, beckoning you into relationship, deeper, more wonderful relationship. All he wants for you and all that he can actually work with is an open, open heart. You to open your heart to him. Open yourself to him. With that, he will perform miracles in our lives. But it's when we refuse to, to open up spots, open up areas, those secret catacombs in our, in our existence that we don't want anybody to know about, especially God. Isn't it odd how we think? He knows everything. He made us. He made those very catacombs in our hearts, those, those hidden places that we lock away the, the secret us that we're so afraid that everybody will find out. He made those, and he has access to them anytime, but he wants us to willingly open up to him. It's the only thing he works with. So in Matthew eleven twenty eight, it tells us explicitly who qualifies for fellowship with Jesus. Who qualifies for fellowship with Jesus? You ever think about that? How do you qualify for fellowship with Jesus? He says, all who labor and are heavy laden. <laughs> do you know anybody who is not? You don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to be with him in fellowship. The very thing that you're carrying. You don't, you don't have to be a shiny penny. Oh, look at me, God. I, I did all the things you wanted me to yesterday. That doesn't qualify you more to be in his presence then for you to say, Lord, I messed up again. Lord, I, I just can't get through a day without messing up. I seems to be the story of my life, and I, I don't feel worthy to come to you. And his admonition to us is, come to me. Just like you are. Don't shine up. Don't spruce up. 
No payment is required. His promise is, I will give you rest. His rest is a gift, not a transaction. Whether you're actively working hard to, to crowbar your life into smoothness, that's your labor, or passionately finding yourself weighted down by someone else or something else outside of your control, that's heavy laden. Jesus' desire is that you find rest and that you come in out of the storm and be with him. So he deals with two things there. You who labor, you who are working to, to get things right, you who work very hard at, at trying to, to get the, the, the thing done, and those who have stuff that is out of their control laid upon them, heavily laden, I, I, a, a beast of burden, a donkey, a horse, an ox, they can't put the, the pack on themselves. They have no capacity to do that. They have to be laden by someone else. It's an outside job. It's not an inside job. And so it's something that's out of your control and is upon you. Gentle and lowly. This, according to his own testimony, is Jesus' very heart. Gentle and lowly. This is who he is. Tender, open, welcoming, accommodating, understanding, willing. If we're ever asked to say only one thing about who Jesus is, we would be honoring Jesus' own teaching if we were to answer, Jesus is gentle and lowly. Gentle and lowly. But that said, the preceding verses to what we just, we just read here. Um, just let me get to it. Uh, he says... Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Gentle and lowly does not mean mushy and frothy. <laughs> Last week we talked about fear of God <laughs> because he is a God to be feared. How do, how do you square the circle of the God of the Old Testament and this Jesus who tells us that he is gentle and lowly? I struggled with that for years. How can the God of the Old Testament be the same God that we see in the New? And my issue there was that I always saw it as a kind of a teeter-totter. God's mercy on one side of the teeter-totter and God's judgment on the other side. And so if, if the judgment side was up and he was <laughs> going at it, then there was no room for his mercy. And if he was moving in mercy like he was in the New Testament, then his judgment doesn't get a chance to express itself. The problem with that thinking is that it comes from not understanding God and how big he is. It comes from not actually letting the Bible talk to me, not reading it. It comes from my understanding and my trying to make this thing work. Because the essence of God does not change. He is holy. He is holy. But at the same time, 
He is gentle and lowly. So, holy God requires that sin be dealt with. He cannot abide with sin. But on the same level, like they don't have higher and lower. It's all the same with him. It's the essence of who he is. On that same level is he is gentle and lowly. And so we're not dealing with a a different God. We're just seeing a, a different aspect of his essence. And he wants us to understand that even though he is holy, even though these things must be dealt with and will be dealt with, his his heart is gentle and lowly. So imagine for a moment how he could have if he were if he were just judgmental god how could he have tortured and tormented people to death terrible horrible deaths but we see him working with people sending them prophets sending them warnings giving them time even even at one point, he says, this nation is corrupt. They are wicked. But their time has not yet come because he is gentle and lowly, wants it to change, giving them time. Then the judgment comes. It could have been instantaneous. Boop, you're gone. <laughs> but his gentle, lowly heart is moving amongst his people. Lowly gentleness is not one way Jesus occasionally acts toward others. Gentleness is who he is. It is his heart. He can't ungentleness or ungentle himself toward his own any more than you or I can change our eye color. We can artificially do it with contact lenses, but you can't change the eye color of a person so that it's always changed. Jesus cannot change his character. Jesus cannot change his heart. Gentle lowliness. The Christian life is inescapably one of toil and labor. It says that in a number of places, but... 1 Corinthians 15.10 and Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, for example, but there are others. Jesus made it clear in his gospel as well, in Matthew 5.19 to 20. The Christian life is inescapably one of toil and labor. His promise here in Matthew 11 is rest for our souls. Rest for your souls. And not a rest for your body. We are called to do that as a steward of the body. But all Christians' toil flows from fellowship with the living Christ, whose transcending, defining reality is gentle and lowly. He astounds and sustains us with his endless kindness. Only as we walk Ever deeper into this tender kindness can we live the Christian life as the New Testament calls us to. Only as we embrace the wonder of his tenderness and his kindness can we, can we live out the life of a real Christian. Think of it in relationship to the family who God uses as a, uh, a template for, for the kingdom for us to understand. If a father isn't tender and kind, the children will not know what God really is about. How do you be tender and kind to a spouse that's being rude to you and, and, and abusing you? Our, the, the picture is harsh there for us. Children that are mistreated. 
We need to embrace the essence of Jesus' heart so that we can express and manifest who God is to those around us. The notion of kindness is there in our, our passage. The word translated easy in this statement, my yoke is easy, needs to be carefully understood. Jesus is not saying that life is free of pain or hardship. This is the same word that's translated in other places in the, in the New Testament as kind. As in uh, Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. That kind there is translated as easy in, in the yoke. Consider what Jesus is saying. A yoke is, is a heavy crossbar that is put upon work animals, they, typically an ox. And it's to, it's to allow the ox or force the ox as, as a team usually, but um, to, to carry the heavy weight of doing farm work, plowing a field, for example. A yoke a yoke is just the opposite of easy. <laughs> so Jesus is using interesting terminology here. Kind of an irony. Saying that the yoke laid upon his disciples is a non-yoke. My yoke is easy. <laughs> My yoke isn't this great beam of wood and iron <laughs> that I have to put on you. My yoke is kind. <laughs> so we, we need to be careful about, about seeing that. Well, it's my, the yoke I carry, you know. like That's not the yoke Jesus has for you. His yoke is a yoke of kindness. Who can resist something like that? It's <laughs> looking for a, an analogy of that. It would be like a a man who is drowning and you throw him a life uh, uh, vest and say, put this on because you know it will save him it's light and it's easy and it will be buoyant for him and he says sputteringly it's hard enough trying to save myself here and not drown on my own ability I don't want your life vest <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what we're presented with. Here we are presented with, come to me and take my yoke upon you. The one you've been carrying is too big. This one that you're trying to work out, remember that we're talking about, about um, uh, it being a, a, a time of, of crowbarring our lives into working order. I'm going to make my life work. I've got to make my life work. You can't do it. And Jesus offers us this easy yoke that will buoy us up. Take my yoke upon you. You don't have to do this on your own. Take this thing and it will, it will save your life. <laughs> it's, it's, it's such a beautiful thing. His yoke is kind. Remember, it's translated as kind in other places. His yoke is kind, and his burden is light. That is, his yoke is a non-yoke, and his burden is a non-burden. <laughs> his yoke is a non-yoke, and his burden is a non-burden. He's using a picture for us and offering us the idea that we don't have to live under, under this burden that has been piled upon us by others, by outside forces. Remember, we could not put a burden on, a, uh, like a, a donkey cannot put his own burden on. It has to be from outside. And so things are too big and too, 
crazy upon our lives if we will come to him accessing his tender and lowly heart he will give us a way to buoy it up I see this in the life of my of my wife she comes under this this yoke of oppression at times where things around her are just too much and she has no way of 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 adjusting it no way of controlling it and it it is so frustrating and she just can't move this thing and yet a few minutes alone with god and she doesn't care about it anymore it's still there she still knows it needs to be dealt with but it's been lifted off of her shoulders and she's exchanged it for this light yoke <laughs> that Jesus has, this light burden. It's not too heavy for her anymore. She has a confidence that she can go through this thing because he's with her and he'll get her through it. It's an amazing thing. It encourages me like... Uh, <laughs> yeah. He doesn't simply meet us at our place of need. He lives in our place of need. He never tires of sweeping us into his tender embrace, into his very heart. And that's what gets him out of bed in the morning, if, you will. <laughs> if you'll excuse the, the correlation there. We... I have a quote here from Thomas Goodwin, who is a pastor in uh, Puritan days. I want to give it to you. Men are apt to have contrary conceits of Christ, but he tells them his disposition there by preventing such hard thoughts of him to allure them unto him the more. So they're thinking... They're thinking Jesus is hard, but he allows them to think that so that he can draw them in just a little bit. We are apt to think that he, being so holy, is therefore of a severe and sour disposition against sinners and not able to bear them. No, he says, I am meek. Gentleness is my nature and my temper. That's who he is, and he's drawing us into that all the time. It is so beautiful. We project unto Jesus our skewered instincts about how the world works. Human nature dictates that the wealthier a person, the more they tend to look down upon the poor. That's just our nature. You get, you get really wealthy, well, the poor, you know, the, they need to pull up their, their, or do it, pull up their bootstraps. The more beautiful a person is, the more they're likely to put off the ugly. And without realizing it, what we're doing, we quietly assume that one so high and exalted, our Jesus, has correspondingly difficult time drawing near through the despicable and the unclean. Without realizing it, we have, we have elevated him to a place where he is so holy that he, how could he put up with people like me and the people that I know? And that's the opposite of the way it is. Sure, Jesus comes close to us, we agree, but he holds his nose. <laughs> The risen Christ, after all, is the one whom God has highly exalted, at whose name every knee will one day bow in submission. This is the one whose eyes are like a flame of fire and whose voice is like the roar of many waters, and who has a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, and whose face is like the sun, shining in full strength." In other words, this is one so 
unspeakably brilliant that his resplendence cannot adequately be captured with words. So ineffably magnificent that all language dies away before his splendor. This is the one whose deepest heart is more than anything else gentle and lowly. We have many times this kind of a picture, and this is one that West Coasters would understand, this picture of, of Jesus coming close to us, being like a little boy trying to touch a slug for the very first time. And, and you know, he'd kind of scrunch up his face and put his arm forward very tentatively, and touching it, he would have to withdraw because it's, ugh, it's not his nature. It's ugly. This slug. That is not how Jesus approaches us. That is not how he calls us. He does not have a sour disposition, nor is he severe with those he loves and those who need him. That's why we need the Bible. Our natural intuition can only give us a, a God like us. The, the God revealed in the scripture deconstructs our intuitive understandings and startles us with the one who, whose perfections are matched by his gentleness. Indeed, his perfections include his perfect gentleness. It is he who says that this is his very heart. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. <laughs> That's the Jesus that we're talking about. That's the Jesus who is love. God is love. He is gentle and lowly. And that's what he wants to woo us into this year. But along the way, we are going to be presented with the opportunity to exchange once again. Those things that don't measure up so that he can give us the kingdom attributes instead. So if we are, if we have, are holding unforgiveness towards someone, he wants to us to give that to him so that we can take on the coin of the realm of the kingdom in forgiveness. Unforgiveness attracts bitterness and bitterness, a root of bitterness, defiles many. But we can, we can give that to Jesus and he will exchange because he is gentle and lowly, exchange it with true forgiveness. And out of that we get forgiven. We can exchange our, our, uh, our offenses. We can exchange them for love. Here, Jesus, this guy really offends me. What he did hurt me to the quick. And I, I just can't get over this. And he will exchange it with love for us. And that's how we move to a higher level in him. It's, it's that easy. But we have to, like the drowning man, be willing to put the life preserver on. Be willing to apply what Jesus has given us. His yoke is easy. It's buoyant. And his burden is light. The burden does not go away in the instant that we, that we 
are in his presence, but we know that he is with us. And we know that he's got this thing. It may take some time, but we will get through it with him. We will get to the other side. We will see victory in Jesus. Hallelujah. So let's, um, why don't you stand with me at home there? You've been sitting for a while. Can you see that if love is our word for the year, that, that he's trying to attract us, to woo us into this place with him so that we might know his heart in all that we're doing, gentle and lowly, gentle and lowly. Mm. Jesus, pray with me if you would. Jesus, you are amazing. You are unlike any, any that we know. You are resplendent. You are bright and shining. uh, When we see you next, out of your mouth will come a shining sword. You are astounding. And yet you are so accessible, your natural posture is to open your arms and welcome us as as unclean and as burdened as we are. The things that we just can't seem to overcome, Lord, those are the things that you are asking for us to give to you. Exchange with me that thing that you can't handle, and I'll give you my yoke. And you will see a difference. That's your promise to us. Lord, help us to see the wonder of who you are. Help us to embrace you when we cannot embrace each other on this earth as we're being precluded from doing that by our authorities. Help us to embrace you until until we receive those things from you that will free us from what it is that burdens us. You are amazing. Let us embrace you today in a new way. Understanding that you're not pointing the finger at us. You are not holding up a hand that stops us from coming into your presence. But you open your arms as you opened them on the cross. Always there welcoming us. Inviting us to embrace. Inviting us to a change in life. Help us, O God, to recognize that. Put aside all of our preconceptions and our misunderstandings, and to embrace you in a new way this year. Let 2021 be a year where we actually caught the principle of love and move in it in new ways. Let it be a year that we remember because we took new territory in you as you offered it to us. Let it be a year where we see all of those things that we've been praying about and hoping for for years and years. Let it be the year that we see them unfolding by your grace. Let this be a year for us to remember for all of eternity. Because you're taking us into this year and you will see us through it. We bless you and we love you, Lord. Lord, as we're, as we're in your presence, as we're talking to you, there are many that have physical ailments. Would you, would you allow your love, your healing virtue, to wash over each one now, taking away the pain, taking away the stiffness, the achiness, the, all of the, the difficulty and healing them, Lord. 
Many are under the burdens of, of debt that they cannot handle. Many businesses are, are floundering, Lord. Would you take that on and supernaturally find a way to alleviate those things? For you, you take care of our debts, Lord. You're amazing. We owed you a debt for our sins, and you took care of it all. Would you help each one of us to overcome the burdens that are upon us? Health, relationship, finances, whatever it is, Lord, just wash over each of us as we sit or stand at this moment in your presence. Do your wonderful work, Lord Jesus. We embrace you this morning as you embrace us. And we thank you for all that you are in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. So um, we will be in touch with you sometime this week as we hear uh, what the provincial authorities are saying. But uh, in the meantime, come back and see us next week. Same time, same station. Amen. Amen. <laughs>